0: Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 55. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I sent it. And Maple Grove, when When God's word produces fruit, when when God's word accomplishes everything that God wants it to, here are the results. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into songs, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where, Where needles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and of his love. Pray with me. Father God, we just ask you this morning, God, that you would would rain down your word, your truth, your presence, your person on us this morning, God. God, I, I pray that, that your word is able to accomplish everything that you want it to accomplish, Lord. I, I pray that your word this morning, that it, it brings the dead back to life. It, it brings the cold back to a, a fire for you again. God, I ask that you help me to say what you want me to say and the way you want me to say it. Jesus, thank you for making it possible for us to be adopted back into the family. Holy Spirit, Thank you for the honor and the privilege that you would live inside such broken and shattered vessels like us. Just move in a powerful way. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Maple Grove, today we are in chapter 21 of the story, Rebuilding the Walls. And in case you didn't know, this is the the last chapter of the story that That deals with the Old Testament. Yeah, that's right. We are two thirds of the way through this journey that began all the way back in January. Uh, A journey to to have a deeper and better understanding of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. A a journey to help you and I to to see the big picture, the meta-narrative of the greatest and most compelling story of all time. A a journey where we are allowing God's Word to rain down on us so that it can accomplish His purpose in us and through our lives. a journey that that is helping us not just to grasp God's story, but also to see how our own story, how our own individual lives fit in. But we're seeing how God's story and our story actually. Intersect, And it's, it, it's been a, an amazing ride so far. We've been using this book right here, The Story. Uh, we asked some in the back if you're here for the first time, we'll give it away to you for free. All this is is 31 chapters of selected Scripture arranged in chronological order in order to tell the story in a kind of novel-type form. And, and during this journey, we, we've seen a lot and we've, we've learned time and time again that regardless of what happens in our own life, regardless of what happens in our lower Story, there is always a much bigger and a much better story going on that overrides it all the story of an all-knowing all-powerful always existing loving God who will do whatever it takes in order to bring you and I back home to a life live with him and for him and lived in him now before we jump into our story I need to give you a heads up about what we'll be doing next week we're going to pause. We're not going to advance to, to chapter 22. We're going to we're going to take a deep breath and look back on where we've been and celebrate. Celebrate the people that we met, celebrate the things we've seen, celebrate the truths that God has rained down upon us. Now now back when I was in in the navy, I served on board nuclear submarines and and, and the ones that carried missiles had two crews, a, a blue crew and a gold crew. I, I was the blue crew, the better crew. And, and on, on, a, on a missile sub, unlike a fast attack sub I served on, you always know how long your patrol lasts. You, I'm leaving this day. I'm pretty much coming home this day. Therefore, you knew when you were halfway through. And we were halfway through. We had what we called halfway night. And we celebrated and we broke out prime rib, we broke out lobster, okay, shrimp, seafood, it was incredible. It, you got the vote who would be the mess cranks, they're the ones who served the food and took care of you, and you could vote for anybody except the XO and the commanding officer. Each vote, each, each vote cost you five bucks. We didn't like our chief very well, I spent 150 bucks, you know, <laughs> to vote for him to be my mess crank for the night, and, and it went to a charity, and I could say, hey, Crank! Hey, crank, I need more. That's not enough ice crank. It was great. Our, S, our XO would lead us in what we call trim parties. You see a submarine has ballast tanks, and you, 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 keep, you keep the sub-level by the amount of water in the tanks. And he, he took, XO would lead us in this charge. Everybody off watch. We, we run all the way to the, the f- front of the ship, and the guy's trying to keep the sub-level. And then we'd run all the way back to the back. And all the way back to the front. Yeah, you feel safer. Yeah, that was, we did have nuclear missiles and a nuclear reactor there as well. Yeah, we, uh, we did what we call, you know, angles and dangles where we would, you get, get a 20 degree dang, down angle, sit on a cardboard box and, and, and ride a slide between the switchboards and, and the engine room. Yeah, you feel safe now, right? Halfway night, nothing like it. And, Bottom line, next week, July 7th, we're going to have a two-thirds week, not halfway night, but a two-thirds week, and, and, and we're, going to, we're going to celebrate, and not only celebrate what we learned, who we met, but also celebrate what's about to come, the arrival of God in the flesh, the beginning of our journey in the New Testament. Uh, yeah, two-thirds week's going to be a blast, but again, this week, we're in chapter 21 of the story. A chapter that centers around both the book and the efforts of a guy named Nehemiah who led the charge to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And and, you know, one of the things I find most encouraging about the story of Nehemiah is that there are no big miracles associated with this guy. His story is simply the story of prayer, hard work, and some divine intervention behind the scenes. Nothing really out of the ordinary. I mean, let's face it, if we could heal at will, if we could part the Red Sea with the stick, if we could walk on water, it would make the process of doing what God has called us to do much easier, wouldn't it? I think that's why we're tempted to look at some of the Old Testament and New Testament heroes and say, yeah, sure, that was easy for you. I mean, you had that supernatural ace up your sleeve the whole time, but not Nehemiah. No, he was just a normal guy who caught a divine glimpse of what could and should be, and then went after it with all of his heart. And let's put his story into its historical context. Around 587 BC, the Babylonians invaded Judah and destroyed the city and and the temple. And this was the third of three campaigns into that region. And about 70 years after the first Babylonian invasion, Cyrus, the king of Persia, as we saw a few weeks back, gave permission for some Jews to go back and to rebuild the temple. And under the leadership of a guy named Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, that's, that's a great name. How much name Gentile Zerubbabel? Okay. Not really. Um, they rebuilt the temple, and things were looking up for a while. I mean, it seemed as if Israel was finally on track and on the verge of, of becoming a blessed nation once again. But unfortunately, over time, the people fell back into some of the very same sins that God judged their ancestors for. The temple was not being maintained, sacrifices had ceased, and God's people continued to adopt some of the religious practices and lifestyle of the surrounding nations. Once again, letting the culture they were in and not the God they served and worship determine for them what is right and what is wrong. And the bottom line, as chapter 21 opens up, the political, social, and spiritual conditions in Jerusalem were both dark and ugly. Meanwhile, back in Persia, A Jewish guy named Nehemiah heard about the condition of his homeland. And we read these words in Nehemiah chapter 1, page 295 of the story. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Keslev, in the 20th year, and Keslev is December, thereabouts. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, and with some men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, And also Jerusalem. How are things going back home? They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. Uh, When I I heard these things, I I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And, And this morning, as we see Nehemiah's story unfold, we're going to uncover several powerful truths that will help us rebuild the walls in our life. Truths that will help you and I bring into being that which is not as it should be or as it could be. Question: Do you have any walls in your life that need rebuilding? Is there anything in your life? Is there anything in this world that is not as it should or could be? And as it really started to get under your skin? I mean, I'm talking about something that makes you feel a little bit like. Popeye, the sailor man. You remember him? Okay, and, and do you remember when Popeye really got frustrated about something? And you, you, when it really got under his skin, he would make this statement. In case he forgot, he's going to tell us what it is. Let's do it. I can't stand, I can't stand no more. Let's do that one more time. <laughs> Bring it, Popeye. I can't stand, I can't stand no more. All right. That's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. So what is there that you have had all you can stands and you can't stands no more? Okay, let's do this. First point in your notes is a burden. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Do you see the picture? When, when Nehemiah heard what was going on back in the city and among God's people, when he heard how, how, what a mess it was, he just broke down and he wept. And, and if you happen to read the chapter 21 this week of the story, you know, that he, this guy is a great leader. You know He wasn't a guy who just like cried easily. But understand, this burden was so great. It was so huge. Nehemiah's like, this is not how things are supposed to be. This is not the way... That God's people are supposed to be living. Yet Nehemiah had all he could stands, and he can't stands no more. And he mourned, and he fasted, and he prayed before the God of heaven. And little did Nehemiah know that, that these deep feelings that he was having were the initial pains of a vision being born. And little did he know that people like us would be sitting in a room in Charlottesville, Virginia, 3,000 years later talking about it. Andy Stanley writes this about a vision. This is really good. A vision is born in the soul of a man or woman who's consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. A vision is born in the soul of a man or woman who's consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. Anyone who's frustrated or brokenhearted about the way things are and lighter the way they believe things could be is a candidate for vision. Uh, question Have you ever or are you even now experiencing that kind of burden? This is not how things are supposed to be. This is not how things could be. This is not how things should be. Walls, lives, houses, marriages, families, children, churches were never intended to be broken down like this. That's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. In 1950, Bob Pierce watched in disbelief as little children who have been orphaned by the Korean War dropped dead while standing in a line for food. And, and, and when, when Bob began to ask, why are these children literally dropping dead? They said, well, it's because there's not enough food at the front of the line. And when Bob got back to the U.S., he he gathered together his most affluent business partners in a meeting room in Los Angeles and birthed what we now know as World Vision. And Bob said, we're going to get food to the front of the line. If it kills me, we're going to do it. And today, World Vision is serving in nearly 100 countries around the world, unleashing billions of dollars each year in resources, assisting more than 100 million people in their struggles against poverty, hunger, and injustice. And the point I'm trying to make is, it's not that God wants to move you through a burden that will one day impact millions of people every year, though He just might be. So I don't want to sell God short or you short, but. But what I'm simply trying to ask this morning is this, is there something, is there something in your life or in this world that is not what it should be, is not what it could be, and it's really beginning to bother you a lot? And you're saying, that's all I can stand. and I can't stands no more. I mean, like, unlike... Other passing concerns, this one, it just sticks with you like white on rice. It, it won't let you go. I mean, you find yourself thinking about it all the time. It, it wakes you up in the, in the middle of the night. I mean, even if you try to let it go, you can't let it go because it won't let you go. Is there any concern or burden keeping you up at night? Children shouldn't have to go without food or clean water or to grow up without a mom and dad to hold them and to love them. Families shouldn't be forced to live in a house that is physically broken down, unhealthy and unsafe. Billions of people around the world shouldn't have to be born, live their lives and die and never hear about this man, Jesus. People, especially Jesus followers, should not have to settle for a life that is less than the life that God created them to live. My marriage, my family, my home, my life, my ministry, my city does not have to be broken down. It should be, and it can be something better. I understand Nehemiah's concern over the condition of Jerusalem. It consumed him. It broke his heart. Thought, uh, thoughts of what was, uh, as opposed to what could be, brought tears to his eyes, and it brought fasting to his prayers. It, it wasn't just a casual concern. It was a vision in the making. And listen, vision doesn't stop with what could be. I mean, after all, what could be is simply an idea or a dream. Rather, vision also carries with it the sense of conviction. You see, it's not only that it that could be or should be, it, but it's that something must be. Something must be done about this. That's all I can stand, and I I can't stand anymore. A vision, it's a it's a picture of a preferred future, a destination. It's one that stands in contrast to the world as it is. And it always begins with a burden, with a concern. For Bob Pierce, it it was the burden for little children to have food every day in a home that would love them. Always begins with a burden. And for you and for me, it's the burden of. It begins with the burden, and it's followed by a prayer. As you read chapter 20 of the story, you see that prayer played a huge part in rebuilding the walls from start to finish. No doubt about it, Nehemiah, he was a man of prayer. And listen, prayer, prayer, prayer is both the foundation and the fuel for rebuilding walls. And bringing things to where they could and should be. Uh, prayer is, if you will the spinach to those that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. I'm strong to the finish, because I eats me spinach. See, see, prayer is the spinach. Prayer is the fuel. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, we see one of his prayers recorded. It's a phenomenal prayer. And not only is it a great prayer, it's a model how you and I should approach God, especially when we have this burden for something. Man, it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And the first thing Nehemiah does is he acknowledges the greatness of God, which is always the place to start, right? Because when we do that, it reminds us that, that unlike us, God has no limits, that he can do anything. So understand correct theology inspires bold prayers. You know, it's like, okay, if my God is that big, yeah, and sometimes I don't know about you, but you guys go, guys like to me, like, really? That's, you think that's how big I am? Correct theology inspires bold prayers. Then I said, oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Who keeps his covenant of love, with those who love and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He acknowledges God's greatness, and then he confesses the sins of the people. I confess the sins. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself. But dude, you're like back in Persia, right? And my father's house committed against you. God, God, we're in this mess mostly because of ourselves. We acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And again, he includes himself in the problem. And after acknowledging God's greatness and confessing his sins, Nehemiah reminds God of his promises. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but... If you return to me and obey obey my commands, then even if your your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. Understand, God loves to hear us as people reiterate to him It's not that he's forgetful, like, oh, wow, I didn't know. No, he loves to hear you and I reiterate to him the promises he had made to us. Lord, 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 you promised that, that you would cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, you, you promised that if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come. Lord, you promised that if I confess my sins, that, that you will forgive me of all my sin and all my unrighteousness. Lord, you promised that, that you would finish the work that you began in me. Lord, you promised that, that you would build your church. Lord, you promised to be there with me to the very end of the ages. And Lord, I I know that you want the hungry fed. I I know that that you want the captive set free. Lord, I know that you want the orphan to have a home. Lord, I, I know that you want your church to prevail, to be strong, to be a sit on a hill. Lord, I know that you want my marriage to be strong and healthy. Lord, I know that you want my children to chase after you and to follow you with all their hearts. He acknowledged God's greatness. He confessed the sins of himself and the people. He reminded God of his promises. And finally, Nehemiah asked for something specific. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Do you delight in revering his name? Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He asked for something specific. Quick question. Do you, in regards to your rebuilding efforts, in regards to this burden, in regards to this, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more burden? Do you need to ask God for something specific? And then he concludes with this. I was cupbearer to the king. By the way, that was a very important and strategic position, Right? I mean, he was closest to the king. He's a guy who made sure the king wasn't poisoned. I mean, see, Nehemiah, no, hey, you know he had a good day at work when he like, hey, I know I had a good day. I'm home. I'm alive, right? A bad day would be I'm dead. <laughs> I got poisoned. But hey, if I'm alive at the end of the day, it's been a good day at work. It went well for me. Who do you think put him there? Think it's an accident? God's always in the move doing things. Rebuilding walls begins with the burden. It's, it's founded and fueled by prayer. Two huge and important things, but eventually we will come to a time for action. You see, eventually Nehemiah had to take some action. Now at the time, he wasn't sure of all the details. You know, he didn't have the whole thing figured out, just like when Jesus' guys left their nets to follow him, right? They didn't know anything other. We got to get moving, start doing something. In the month of Toyota, the month of Honda, Oh, no, it's the month of Nisan, okay. Uh, that's April. He's been praying intensely for four months. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, who was the son of Xerxes, who we saw a couple of weeks back, was married to a lady named Esther. I don't know, but maybe this Esther could have been his mom. Maybe that's why he seemed to like God a little bit. When wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sat in his presence before. For four months, I... No one knows this is going on. He hadn't seen this. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of heart. And then he says, I was very much afraid. Why? Because the to come in the king's presence and being sad could be the death penalty. Because the king is like, hey, I am so awesome. And I am such a fun guy to be around that there's no way you couldn't be joyful in my presence. And therefore, if you're not joyful in my presence, I will have to kill you. It's true. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Uh, Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Very smart move because Persians were very paranoid about burials and respect for the dead. King said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. One of those flare prayers, right? I don't think he got down for 20 minutes. He flung it out there because he's already been praying four months straight. And I answered the king. And here we're about to see in his answer that apparently as he prayed for those four months, God, as he often does, began to reveal some things to him. And because Nehemiah was aware of God's greatness, he makes some pretty bold requests here. He said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so I can rebuild it. Then the king said, with the queen sitting beside him, ask me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, basically, hey, okay, since I'm going, do you mind funding it? Do you mind give me enough money to make this thing happen? Uh, Will you take care of this? Not only do I want time off with pay, I, I want you to fund the project. And, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, not because I was so slick and smooth and had all figured out, the king granted my request. So I went. A, a time for action. It, and understand, a, a vision the dream of what should and can be does not necessarily require immediate action, right? Uh, Nehemiah didn't go right away, did he? You know, he, he, he went after four months. And he had to wait four months. And, 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 and during that period of waiting, God, what God did was he matured the vision in the Nehemiah, and he matured Nehemiah for vision. You know, and a lot of times we have to wait. We have this burning and we're praying and we're waiting and during the waiting period, God matures the vision in us. For Moses, it's like 40 years, right? Nehemiah, four months. So somewhere between four months and four years, you may have to wait. You know, I, I feel like sometimes I'm on the 40-year plan, all right? And, but God wants to mature the vision in us and mature us for the vision. After the burden and the prayer comes a time for action. Next, in your notes, a team effort. Team effort. So Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem in style, accompanied by an armed Persian escort. He doesn't tell anybody why he's there. You know this had to create a stir within the city. Then in Nehemiah chapter 2 we read, three days later I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. And he doesn't, notice he doesn't go alone. He takes some guys with him because Nehemiah realizes that this rebuilding the wall thing is not something I'm able to do by myself. And once he checks things out, The next day, Nehemiah, he gathers all the leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and everyone else in the administration in order to get them on board. Because he knows, hey, if this is going to go anywhere, these influential leaders, they got to buy into it. He wants to get buy-in. And listen, their buy-in wasn't a guarantee. After all, everyone at the time, both leaders and people, had become used to and were completely okay with the walls not being rebuilt. With things not being as they can or should be. As evidenced by the walls lying in ruins 140 years later. Question. Have you become used to? And are you okay with something that is not as it should be or could be? Well, yeah, I know my marriage shouldn't be like that, but, you know, it's, you kind of learn to live with it. I said to him, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And those two verses, are, they're powerful. And in it, we see, we see, you know, here's how Nehemiah got buy-in from these leaders. Number one, he points out the problem. The walls are broken down. And they're like, yeah, that's obvious, right? But again, they become so accustomed to it, they hardly notice anymore. It's like that stain on your carpet, right? You know, you don't notice it. Someone walks in, they see it. You see, tragically, they had learned to live with things not as they should or could be. And Nehemiah's like, guys, open your eyes. The walls are broken down. That's not a good thing. We're constantly vulnerable to our enemies. He points out the problem, then he points out the solution. You can see, he was a rocket. He had great IQ. Walls are broken down. Solution, let's rebuild the walls. (laughs) Again, obvious. But still, somebody needed to say it out loud. You see, Nehemiah wanted these leaders to visualize their city once again being a walled city. He wanted them to visualize, hey, here's a picture of what can be. Here's a picture of what it should look like. And next, Nehemiah, he points out the reason why something must be done. You see, just pointing out the problem and solution wasn't enough to motivate the people. They needed incentive. And so Nehemiah followed up his one-two punch with the right jab to their very conscience. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and end this, what? Disgrace. Guys, this is a disgrace. It's embarrassment. Guys, remember, we're not just any people. We're not just any nation. We're the people of God. We're God's people. And other nations are watching us and say, look at these walls being torn down. What do you think they're thinking about our God? Guys, we've allowed this to go on for too long. For 140 years, and it's totally inexcusable to let it go on a day longer. And listen, Nehemiah's vision was not so much about rebuilding a wall as it was about establishing a context where God could demonstrate his power. And fulfill his promises to and through his people. It wasn't about walls. It was about this context where God could come in and do his thing. And finally, Nehemiah pointed out the reason why it needed to be done now. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. Why now? Because, hey, guys, it's obvious God is moving. God's in this thing. God has created this huge wave. And we need to grab our boards and ride it because the wave may go away. And we may be on the ride a sucker, but we can't create a wave. We may miss it. Their response? Yes, let's rebuild the walls! Exclamation point, so I did that. And once the leaders on board, Nehemiah got the people on board. Chapter 3 is one of those boring chapters to us, right? All these families, they're here. They're by the fish gate, you know? They're by the water gate, or whatever. They're you know, They're everywhere. All these families, 40 different groups, everything going up simultaneously. And then we see these three words over and over again in chapter three next to him. And next to him was this, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him. Because for this burden to become reality, for things to become as they're supposed to be, it's a team effort, it's a together thing. A burden, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. A prayer, a time for action and a team effort. One more point in your notes, and, and it's pretty important. I, in fact, I think I'm convinced that this is where many people in this room are at this moment, in the rebuilding of the walls, in this bringing that which should be and can be to what God always meant it to be. See, if if Nehemiah was ever to see these walls rebuilt, he would have to push through discouragement. Chapter 4, we see some discouragement setting in. Uh, In fact, it was so bad that they actually, four times, stopped working on the walls. Question, has discouragement ever caused you to quit rebuilding the walls? Has discouragement ever poured icy cold water On this burden you have for something to become what it should and can be, such that the flames are slowly starting to go out. Uh, Understand, if we're ever going to rebuild the walls, if we're ever going to bring things to where they should and can be, we, like Nehemiah and his crew, it was the blue crew, uh, (laughs) will have to learn to push through and overcome the cold waters of discouragement. Anybody discouraged this morning? Anybody trying to tread those icy cold waters? In Nehemiah 4.10, we read this, and the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Now, we're going to hit these quickly because of time, right? But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the real deal. See, it's never so much. It's not so much about the time you and I spend in here hearing God's truth, but rather it's about how much time will you and I spend when we walk out those doors reflecting on, wrestling with, and seeing how we can apply the truths that God brings to us today, right? That's the big deal, right? Well, I spend 10 or 50 minutes, what matters, Well, we leave here and wrestle with these things? I bet you know what it's like to feel the waves of discouragement crash on you and feel them rest upon you. I sure do. Matter of fact, I I let God preach the sermon to me because I needed it. Causes of discouragement, loss of strength. The strength of the laborers is giving out. They're tired. They're wore out. They're just exhausted. You ever been there? You're trying to make this thing happen. You're just tired. And you know when their strength gave out? (laughs) In Nehemiah 4, six. we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached what? Half its height. Halfway through. That's usually about when discouragement sets in we lose our strength. Question, are you still as excited about the job you had as you were three years ago? Do you still wash your car as much as you did when you drove it off the lot? See, loss of strength brings discouragement. And for some of you, The most spiritual thing you can do this week is what Elijah did. Go home, eat some food, take a nap, wake up, take a nap, wake up, eat some food, take a nap, wake up, eat some food, take a nap, get some rest. Another cause of discouragement is loss of vision. There is so much rubble. You see, they're they're taking their eyes off where they're going and they're just looking at the rubble. And all they can see is the rubble. They keep focusing on the rubble. They keep focusing on all the things that are not as they're supposed to be and it's blinding them to where they're going. They don't even know where they're going anymore. Oh, here's a rubble. We're still not there yet. It's still messed up. And they forget, no, you're not, don't look at the rubble. Look at where you're going. But they lost the vision. You ever lost your vision? Have you ever lost because of the rubble, because of the things that are still messed up? You lost that picture that, of that desired, that preferred future. Understand, when you lose energy and you lose vision, very soon you'll lose confidence. We cannot rebuild the walls. Yeah, yeah, I know, we thought we could, and man, Nehemiah's speech was like one of the best ever. I mean, I, I got a sermon outline framed in our living room, it's on my refrigerator, my mirror in the bathroom, I have it on my car, and I got, I got it on my iPod, and listen to it, going to work every day, but you know what, we can't do it. We can't. I thought we could, but we can't. I don't know, maybe things were not happening as fast as they thought they should. Man, I thought we'd be further along by now. And they're thinking, you know, maybe Tobiah and Ballot were right. Were they right. Maybe we never did have what it takes to do this thing. Maybe we never did have what it takes to rebuild the walls, to fix our marriage, to build that church, to do that thing, to feed those children. Remember what they said? Mocking them? What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they, they think they can make something of stone from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? <laughs> if a fox, if a, maybe a hamster. If a hamster just wouldn't, if I would just stop it. If I would understand, understand. Okay. <laughs> the strength of the laborers is given out, and there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. You know who was saying that? It, it wasn't their enemies. You know who was saying that? The people of Judah were saying that. They're discouraging each other. <laughs> hey, I'm bummed. Let you be bummed. It's terrible. Nothing's happening. We're getting nowhere. We're still losing ground. We've lost everything we gained. And then they lost security. So their enemies did not want them to be secure in their dreams and neither do ours. Our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and kill them. And we'll put an end to their work. Then the Jews who live near them. You see, the people who were furthest away from God became the greatest source of discouragement. God's people far away from God, a huge source of discouragement. And it says this, then the Jews who live near them, they came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Wherever you, wherever we turn, they will attack us. 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 Oh, it's that six? Okay, where 10 times. We can't do this. Throw people. How do you know if you're discouraged? Do you find yourself wanting to run away from the situation? Do you find yourself magnifying the problem? Do you find yourself wanting to give up and quit? Well, how do we push through it? And look up if the day, if the day. You're discouraged about something? That God has put on your heart to do. Know that it's not an accident that you're here. That God brought you here. And these are not my words. These are his words. And God is telling you it's worth it. Push through this. Why do you do it? You pray. You pray. Nehemiah, what did he do? Even a durable knocked down your wall. Then he prayed. Hear us, our God, for we're being mocked. God, hear us. God, we need you. See, see, here's what prayer does. Here's what prayer does. I know because I know how to screw it up. Okay? Here's what prayer does prayer puts our focus back where it needs to be. It puts our focus on God and off the rubble and off the things that are not, the things that can be because of God. So we pray. And maybe sometimes we need to combine some fasting with those prayers. In Nehemiah chapter 6, when 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 they're trying to distract him again and discourage him, he does one of these quick, you know, four-word prayers. Now strengthen my hands. Man, they're trying to make me weak. God, now God, you strengthen my hands. You be my strength. You pray, and then the next thing you do, this is not in your notes. It'll pop up on the screen. So you pray to push through the discouragement. You reinforce the weak areas. Nehemiah writes, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Question, are there any weak areas in your life? Are there any exposed places? You better know. I better know because you know who knows our exposed places, our weak areas? Our enemy. And he will exploit them. So you pray and you reinforce the weak areas. And then you remember the Lord. Look what he says in verse 14. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Who is great and glorious. You got a dream? You got a burden? You want your marriage to where it needs to be? You want to do these things for God, for his glory? Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. He is great and he is glorious. Remember the Lord. Remember his power, his greatness, his might, his love, his mercy. Remember that he can do anything. Remember that all things are possible with him. Remember, and listen, if it's God's will, you think God wants children to be fed? You think God wants your marriage to be what it needs to be? You think God wants to see this church be the church that he wants it to be? Yes. Then we know what? We have the sovereign king of the universe in our corner. I mean, he is so powerful. He can do anything. We pray, reinforce weak areas. We remember the Lord. We revise our plans. See, see he, he, here's something. See, Nehemiah had to revise his plans. He, he, he goes, he, he repairs. He goes, I didn't plan on having half my crew with a sword and not a shovel. That wasn't part of my plan. But that didn't mean the vision for rebuilding the walls wasn't still a good one. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we think, well, if my plans aren't working, then the vision wasn't any good. No. You know, your vision is for your marriage to be great. You went to the first counselor, counselor, he was no good. Go to another one, right? I mean, the, the dream of restoration of your marriage is still a good dream. The dream of feeding kids is still a good dream. The dream of God's people living the lives they were created to be is a good dream. The dream of this church being everything that God wants her to be, to be that city in the hill, it's still a good dream. We don't give up on the dream, we revise our plans. Visions are refined, but they don't change. Be stubborn about the vision and flexible about the plans. See, sometimes when my plans don't work, I think it's failed. It's easy to lose sight of the dream of the burden if the plans don't work. And then finally, just refuse to quit. Refuse to quit. So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, when those who were distracting us, discouraging us, opposing us, mocking us, when they heard our marriage was on target, our church was doing what it needed to be done, hunger being fed, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. I I don't know what burdens God has put on your heart. I know what he's put on mine. Refuse to quit refuse to quit. Like Bob Pierce said, I am going to get food to the front of that line even if it kills me. I'm going to see this happen. I'm going to see my marriage, my home, my family, this church, these people, I'm going to see these things happen even if it kills me. And these words from Paul right here to me and to you. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, four months, 40 years, I wish it was like four seconds, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Pray. Reinforce those weak areas. Remember the Lord, revise your plans, and refuse to quit. As we sing this closing song, I can picture Nehemiah singing a song. I can picture those thousands in Jerusalem. It had been so many hard times, so many difficulties, so many discouragement. Sometimes they were their own biggest discouragement. If not them, then their own brothers and sisters would discourage them from the dream. But they knew that never once, right, did God leave them alone. And that standing on the mountaintop of a completed walls, they knew that never once did God leave them. God will not leave you. If you have a prayer need today, you can come forward as, as the elders are off to the side, but continue to let God speak to you. Man, I don't know about you, I, I needed this message this week. I was excited about it. I said, God, I need it, because I'm discouraged. And God, God said, well, there you go. I owe Nehemiah Starbucks and a steak in heaven right when I get there. Dude, dude, I'm getting the best steak for you, you know, and even some mushrooms to put on it. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you. And and God, I pray for all those in this room, God, that you've given a burden to of some kind, Lord. The enemy wants to discourage them, God. And I pray, God, if the vision, the burdens from you, God, that they, they will just press on and trust you. And know that you are faithful. And that never once have you or will you ever, ever leave us alone. Fill us with your power and presence right now as we declare the kind of God you are, amen.